Thanks for joining our YouTube channel. If you haven't done so already, please click that subscribe button to join our community. That way you get notified each and every week a message pops up. With that being said, we pray that this message encourages and inspires you to take one step closer to Jesus. Happy, happy Resurrection Sunday to everyone. If you're new to our church, my name is Brent. I get the privilege of being your lead pastor, and we're going to continue to experience God together today. You know, we always celebrate as we get started, and today is Resurrection Sunday, so there's no greater thing to celebrate than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Literally the day that split time in half from B.C. and A.D. and led us all these years later to where we are now. And I was thinking about that um, this, this, uh, this weekend. This always stands out to me at Easter weekend, but, and it happens every Sunday, but especially on Easter Sunday, that around the world there's over 2 billion people that consider themselves Christ followers. And so from yesterday, our time, Resurrection Sunday started in this little island of Tonga uh, off the coast of Japan, and people would start worshiping in Tonga, and then it would go into Japan. And if you could picture this, it's like the wave at a football game. I think Jesus likes the wave. As, as worship starts erupting across Japan, and then China, and Russia, into India, and then into the Middle East, and then into Europe, and then goes across the Atlantic, and all of a sudden, it's our part of the wave of worship that goes around. Around the world. And I love the fact that we get to be a part of something at Arise and in our worship that's so much bigger than our church. And I hope that we always keep that mentality that the church of Jesus Christ is so much bigger than just our little piece of it here. But God is doing some great things around the world. Amen? Amen. 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 So what would it be like if you could like um, uh, proctor a college class taught to devils on how to tempt you? Some of you may have read C.S. Lewis's famous book, The Screwtape Letters, which is a senior demon writing to lesser demons explaining how to tempt you. Uh, and so we took it upon ourselves to write our own script, a rise version, stealing a few little things from C.S. Lewis, to say what would it look like if you actually got to sit in a college-level class where a senior demon was teaching and lecturing to a group of younger demons on how to tempt you. Over the next four weeks in our church, we are going to be able to be in that class, learning from them, and then also talking from them and seeing them a little interact with us here on stage. It's going to be a blast. And so today, as we introduce you to this class, is the orientation class to the university called Welcome to University. Would you turn your attention to the screens and watch this video that sets up the message? Welcome, welcome, ghouls, goblins, and gorgeously grotesque gremlins of all types. Welcome to the unnerving university for terrible temptations, tricks, and traps. I hope you're all having a dreadful day so far. Today is your orientation class. My name is Abaddon, and I will be your teacher for this temptation class. I know you're nervous. I remember my class too many years ago. I was a weak little imp, hungry to learn the lovely art of tricking those hideous humans, those morbid mortals, those disgusting daughters and sickly sons of their savior. Yes, I was once like you, but look at me now, strong, powerful, influential, and humble. For millennia, I have feasted on the good people who I led to become pornographers, racists, and thieves. 
I have tempted even the best of believers with pride, lust, and greed. My temptations have led even the greats to fall from their ghastly grace. I exploit their broken places. And now, now, I will teach you also. Over the next few weeks, I will be teaching you my most seductive temptations, just trick, steal, and destroy the humans that you are assigned to. Oh, oh! Yes, you brutal beast. Will you teach us how to make our humans believe a lie? <laughs> yes, yes, of course. Our father is the father of lies. Of course we deal in lies, you feeble fool. Oh, will you show us how to make their lustful desires seem so overwhelming that they feel like there's no choice but to follow? Yes, yes, of course. What about sex? Can we tempt our humans with that evil pleasure? <laughs> Do you imps have nothing worthwhile to ask? Of course we'll tempt with sex. Though, our fellows in Hollywood have already indoctrinated most mortals with this topic, so our work is easy there. What? Can you teach us how to turn our humans into true practitioners of evil? Yeah. Mortals like Hitler, yeah. Stalin, Mao, Bin Laden? <laughs> yes, finally, a son of hell with ambition. You young imp are going places. But remember, and all of you, take note of this. The only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy. Murder is no different from cards if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, the steady underpass. Without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. <laughs> now, my horrible little hellions, go and study your humans. Bring me back a report on all of their weaknesses and all of the broken places in their lukewarm lives. And next week, I'll be teaching you how to exploit those slanderous inclinations of the heart for our own good. Go, go now and prepare to feast on your humans. So, I have tag teamed preached with a lot of pastors in the past. I have even tag team preached with Martin Luther King Jr. one time via video. This is my first time that we will tag team preach with a demon. Because demons love to distract and they love to take anything that we give them and try to distract in the middle of a message. You know all about it because some of you are already thinking about lunch today, even during worship. <laughs> Come on. So, um... Uh, truth is a funny thing that, that truth always expands the dimensions of our mind. And part of that new frontier of the expansion of our mind is that we don't understand the truth until we do. Uh, this happens especially when you're a child. I mean, Brody right now is, is five years old. He's in the car with us uh, a lot and we're driving and things. And he will ask a plethora of questions. Every parent understands this. Every grandparent understands this. It starts with like, you know, why did God make trees? Why are trees so tall? Why are trees green? Why do trees have limbs? Why do we make wood out of trees? Why does, and it keeps going and going. Why? Because the expansion of his mind is growing to new things he didn't understand before. Now, when truth happens, 
it, it always kind of offends us a little bit because it's something we didn't know before. And so there's a lot of famous quotes about this idea. Like, like George Bernard Shaw, the Irish playwright and activist, famously said that all great truths begin as blasphemies. When you first hear the truth, you're like, that's ridiculous. That's blasphemy. That's nuts. And then you get on the other side of it, and it's revealed that it actually is true. Or how about Arthur Schopenhauer, the German philosopher, who said it this way. He said of truth, first, it is ridiculed. Second, it is violently opposed. Third, it's accepted as being self-evident. Has anybody ever experienced this? Are y'all with me this morning? Y'all really quiet. Come on, just say, not today, Satan. Okay, I'm glad three of you are with me. All right. First, this truth becomes ridiculed, then it's violently opposed, and then it's just self-evident. We always kind of knew it. That's the way truth starts to happen. In fact, with scientific truth, it's often been said that science progresses funeral by funeral. (laughs) I love funerals. Although simple-minded, morbid little mortals soaking about as if an end has come, (laughs) they seem to have no idea that death at the funeral is only the beginning. (laughs) It's like a feast of depressed souls. It's like brunch at a buffet. Okay, that's enough of that. People thought, oftentimes, that early scientists especially, that they were nuts until they found out that their scientific discoveries were accurate. So the first ones to break through that wall, so to speak, and present this truth. By the way, truth is always discovered. It's not invented. Uh, Truth comes from the very nature of God. It was true before somebody discovered the truth was true. Because it comes from something that's bigger and greater than we are. It's an interesting idea there. Uh, truth is not invented. A new scientific truth is not invented. It's simply discovered. It was already there. We just found it. And so, so when a new truth is discovered, uh, oftentimes the people that discover it are thought to be nuts and out of their mind. For instance, in the 6th century B.C., uh, Pythagoras declared that the, or the earth was round. People at the time thought it was flat. That's ridiculous. The earth is not flat or, or it's not round. It's, it's flat. And then it wasn't until about 330 B.C. that uh, Aristotle started to teach that the earth was round. Well, then it took off and people started to believe it. But that Pythagoras for 300 years before that was nuts. Like he, he didn't know what he was talking about. But Aristotle, he's a genius, so he must know. But then it's not until people like Christopher Columbus and other explorers actually had the bravery in the 1400s to go and discover, is the world actually flat? Will you fall off of it that it was actually officially committed as, as truth? And so those people were thought to be nuts there at first until it's discovered as truth. Or somebody like Nicholas Copernicus, who in 1473, between 1473 and the early 1500s, uh, thought, was thought to be a fool when he started to teach that the earth was not the center of the universe. In fact, there was a 2,000-year-old view, also coming from Aristotle, that the earth was the center of the universe. Oh, please. Okay. Everyone knows the earth is not the center of the universe. You are. You are important. You are vital. You are the most important person here. You're worthy of worship. And praise. For the record, neither the earth nor you are the center of the universe. Just so we're all on the same page about that. 
But Copernicus starts teaching that the center of the universe is not the earth, and it starts a little bit of an uproar, and then people start to believe this teaching. Scientific community was very much against it at first, but later Giordano uh, Bruno was burned at the stake for believing Copernicus, and Galileo later is famously sentenced to house arrest by the church, and then this real opposition comes from the scientific community that is absolutely against this idea because they're holding strong to the 2,000-year-old at that time period, 2,000-year-old view of Aristotle. And so now when you you say the earth is not the center of the universe we go well duh but at that point that was revolutionary that was that was wild that, that you could believe such a thing how about louis pasteur louis pasteur was 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 the creator of what we now refer to as germ theory and when he started to teach that diseases spread through germs people thought he was nuts now, now, stay with me for a second. You know that's obvious now. You're hopefully washing your hands and stuff, especially during COVID, right? You know that now. But germs are invisible to the naked eye. When you, you can't see a germ. So, so this invisible thing is now causing diseases and such. That, that, that's ridiculous to believe something like that. So he's, he's basically kicked out of the community, of the science community, and has to do his laboratory experiments outside of the community before they finally determine that certainly certain germs and bacteria actually lead to diseases. And now we just take it for granted. Of course that's the truth. We've always known that. It's funny how truth does that, isn't it? What's the difference? Microscopes. And telescopes. You grew up with microscopes and telescopes. When you were a kid, somewhere along the line, somebody showed you a microscope, and for the first time in your life, you had heard about germs or bacteria or these different invisible things because they're so small, but now you looked with your own eyes and you saw them. You had heard about the solar system, but a telescope allowed you to see with your own eyes this world that was non existent to you before. Are you all with me? And all of a sudden, the nature of telescopes and microscopes began to show you that you could discover this truth that's beyond your natural sight and natural ability. I wonder what the next truth that we will discover will be. Because as human nature continues to progress, we find and stumble upon these new truths, these new scientific truths. Now, now there's at least one truth that I know that not everybody in this room probably knows for sure. You uh, I would say that I'd be willing to die for it, and other people would say that's absolutely ludicrous, but that's because they haven't seen what I have seen. Microscopes and telescopes. They change everything, and all of a sudden one person can see something that others cannot see with their natural eyes. That's the way education always works. Education's always stretching us to the greater dimension of a higher understanding. Now, I know it's hard to believe this, but there was once a very religious man who was so religious that anybody who practiced any other religion was wrong to him. And it was even greater than just being wrong. Anybody that practiced another religion or a cult inside of his own religion, he felt like he had to take it upon himself to prove that that was not right and would actually fight against them to the point uh, that not only would he argue against them, but he would hunt them down rip them out of their houses, pull them out of places and, and imprison them and actually sometimes even kill them. Why? Only because they had a truth that was not his truth. They had seen something he hadn't seen. And so he is taking it upon to chase them down until, like looking at a microscope or a telescope, one day this particular religious man sees something he's never seen before. He sees the other side. He sees why they do it the other way. And suddenly his whole life changes because of his sight. And he actually joins the other party that he's been hunting down. He actually becomes a central 
proclaimer of that truth that they had been proclaiming, that he had been fighting against, to the extent that now he is proclaiming this truth, but the people on the other side are now attacking him. His former comrades and friends are now trying to have him killed and imprisoned and trying to chase after him. Maybe you've heard of this man. His name is the Apostle Paul. Ugh, I thought you were talking about that guy. I hate Paul. I had him in my clutches. He was so religious. We made quite the team, but then he turned on me. He's a traitor, a turncoat, and even worse, he's caused more of you mortals to follow him in his treachery. My hatred burns for that repulsive Paul. If I were a demon, my hatred would burn for Paul too. Because he switched sides, starts serving the Lord after this experience with God, and then starts starting churches and proclaiming the gospel all over the world. And as he's proclaiming the gospel, part of what he's doing is writing letters. And he wrote a letter to this church in Ephesus. We call it Ephesians nowadays. And as he writes this letter to the church in Ephesus, the beginning of the letter, he actually prays for the church. It starts just before where we're going to start at. But he prays for the church, and I want you to hear what he starts to say. Ephesians 1.18, the very beginning of the verse, says this. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. The eyes of your heart. First of all, I didn't know that my heart had eyes. I know that my head had eyes. I can look in the mirror and I can see my eyes. It's very natural for me to know that my eyes are eyes on my head. In fact, I even know when my eyes are groggy or not looking correctly and things are a little blurry. I know when my eyes need glasses. I also know when I can see well through my eyes. I know the eyes in my head, but I didn't know that my heart had eyes. And he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Some translations you might be reading say opened. This is where we get the old song we used to sing in the church to say, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. That the eyes of your heart may be enlightened opened or enlightened, that the eyes of your heart, that a new truth that you could not see, a new understanding that you did not have would be enlightened, would be opened, that you would see things that you've never seen before. And he's praying that that would happen, that, 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 that this understanding that, that, that if, my, if my heart has eyes, hear me, that also means my heart can be blind. So there could be things that are there that I can't see that somebody else could see, but I can't see because my eyes are either closed or blind. And I end up groping for truth, walking around like a blind man in a new location, touching everything, trying to figure something out, but never fully understanding it. Because my eyes of my heart can be blind. So Paul starts to unpack the scripture that we're about to read. And I want you to see this so clearly that what he's saying and and really is about to say, and he's starting here, is that there are unknown things to you, hidden things to you, that, that he has discovered that you and I have not yet discovered, or at least the church of Ephesus, that you haven't discovered these things. Like, like the forerunner in science, the one, the, 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 the Pasteur, the, 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 the Galileo, the Copernicus, the one that's going to see something before everybody else can see it. And if you're not careful, you'll think he's nuts. If you're not careful, you're going to be like, that guy has lost his marbles. Some of you are thinking, like, in the service already, like, these people have lost their marbles. Because he's seeing something that you can't see. 
A deaf person who cannot hear the music always thinks the dancer is crazy. So you're seeing something that you cannot see. And Paul here wants them to see it. In the Latin, this is called viseo dei. It's called seeing God. That you would see God not just in his natural element, not just as the human being of God, but God in all of his glory, in all of the circles of his glory and understanding of his limitless beauty. Viseo dei. And so Paul looks through microscopes and telescopes, gets a greater revelation, and then he begins to try to unpack it to you and I. So, I'm going to spend the next few minutes unpacking this for you of what Paul is saying. Not that I have received all this, but Paul has, and he's speaking to every one of us this morning. Ephesians 1, 18 through 22. It says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength He exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, in every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. Let me give you four, maybe five principles quickly over the next few moments that we're going to pick out of this and hopefully open the eyes of our understanding in our heart. Number one, are y'all with me? Y'all are really quiet in this service. You're making me nervous. Somebody just say amen. Amen. Say amen. amen. Okay. All right. Number one, there is hope through Jesus. There is hope through Jesus. What did he say right there? He said, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be opened and enlightened, blah, blah, blah. In order, there's a reason that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Paul is praying that you would know the same hope of God that he has experienced, stepped over the line, and he's trying to bring us into his truth that there is tremendous hope in Jesus Christ. That that as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, when you preach the gospel, you are preaching the gospel of hope. Hope? (laughs) There is no hope. And you all know it. Your politicians are pathetic. Amen. Your bosses are brain... No, you're not supposed to agree with me. Your bosses are brainwashed, your spouses are useless, and your children are destined for destruction. <laughs> you should all be hopeless. In fact, some of you are hopeless right now. I can feel the emptiness inside you. It's like a playground for me to exploit. So Christians, you and I... First of all, should be experiencing hope. That's what Paul's saying. But then as you experience it, you deal it out. You serve hope. You cannot serve what you haven't experienced. You cannot give what you haven't received first. You receive hope, and then you share hope. And in that way, you become a hope dealer. You can stand on the street corner and deal out hope everywhere you go. You can sit in your cubicle and deal out hope everywhere you go. You can work under the car as a mechanic and deal out hope everywhere you go. But we don't live up to this standard of dealing out hope because many of us haven't truly experienced the hope, so we can't serve the hope. At the exact same moment, America is in a moment that we need hope like we've never needed it before. We need somebody who can stand up and actually declare over the nation that God is still in control, that things are not out of his control. Depression and anxiety is skyrocketing, and this epidemic that was already an epidemic prior to covid 
is it only grown during COVID and then the political turmoil and things that are going on in our worlds right now? And in all the stress and anxiety and frustration, somebody's got to stand up and deal out hope that they have received first. And Paul is saying, listen, I've received the hope. I'm sharing it with you. Now you receive it and keep sharing it with others. You are in need of hope. Hope is essential for survival. And Jesus is the one who brings hope. That's what he's saying. I've seen it. I've been there. Come with me on this truth journey. But then he keeps on praying. He said, I know that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened uh, uh, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. And then he continues to say that he's called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Is the prince of darkness and he promises a glorious inheritance of pride lust and power he even offered your Jesus the entire world but he chose poverty and death following Jesus has nothing to gain but everything to lose He's, she's the father of lies if you haven't figured this out so far. Following Jesus has everything to gain and nothing to lose. Because there is an inheritance that you receive through Jesus. First of all, an inheritance is not of your own works. It's something somebody gives you. Second of all, an inheritance comes when somebody dies. That's what we celebrate on Good Friday. On Good Friday, Jesus died. He was, he was dead and buried. He was put on a cross, and Jesus died on Good Friday. You were able to inherit your inheritance as of Good Friday. But then Sunday morning came along, and he rose, and he brought the inheritance with him to bring it to you. To say, listen, I got gifts for the church. I've got healing for the church. I've got peace for the church. I got working of miracles. I got hope for the church. And I am going to bring it with me because I was dead and now I'm alive. And so I have an inheritance for you. Somebody say, I don't have, I, Christianity loses everything, has nothing to gain. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard. You could lose everything in this life and gain heaven and it would still be worth it. But he has this inheritance that he wants to give us. And sometimes we confuse God's inheritance with just heaven. This is a common American mistake that, 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 that oh, Jesus died and resurrected so I could get to heaven. That is true. But he also died and resurrected so you can bring heaven to earth. So that you can bring his peace, his prosperity, his, his kingdom, all of the glory of who he is onto your life. So you can walk out the glory of God in your day-to-day -day life. Are you all with me, somebody? You receive these gifts. It's, a, it's an inheritance of abundant life. John 10, 10, famously, Jesus said these words. He said, the thief comes to still kill and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. This is the inheritance that Paul's talking about right here. That there are gifts and blessings that God wants to give us, but we're not always operating in it. So like a scientific forerunner, he's exploring this truth that he's discovered and trying to bring us on this journey that we would discover it as well. Let's keep reading. Verse 19, it says, And his incomparable, incomparably great power for us who believe, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. Can I get an amen there? This is Easter Sunday. And seated him at his right hand in heavenly front realms. There is okay, power, power through Jesus. Power. You want to talk power? I alone manipulate the powers of darkness. 
I bet I can get each and every one of you to do what I want, when I want it, and how I want it. Don't believe me? I caused that man over there to steal last week because he, he, he really believed he deserved it. And I've caused that woman over there to go into incredible amounts of debt because she needed those shoes. You want to talk about power? That's not power. That's already in your nature. It takes a tiny push to get you to sin. But you have a power to actually live in righteousness and holiness and deny the flesh and actually live different than everybody in this world. Why? Because you have resurrection power in you. That's what Romans chapter 8, Paul says, that the same power that resurrected Christ from the dead now lives in you. That means your old man just died on Friday and Sunday morning resurrection power just came alive and you can say, not today, Satan. I don't have to be held down by every one of these temptations, every one of my own lusts, all of my own pride. I don't have to be held down by that. Why? Because Jesus Christ was resurrected, and now that same power lives in you and I. Come on, are y'all with me? The disciples discovered this power. It was, it was awesome. They discovered this power, and then they're showing us that we can live in this power. Live in this power, the same as the mighty strength that exerted him and raised Christ from the dead. Are y'all with me? See, we live in a world where people need overcoming power. All of us, we're not even taught to even try to overcome things anymore. We're just taught to just fall into it. You're tempted by this? Well, it's not even a temptation. Just jump right into it. That's not power. There is a power to overcome every temptation of the enemy and live a life that stands out like a city on a hill in front of our community. That is the power that God has for us. We need power. You can get a pill for everything in the world. We need power. I think of Charles Spurgeon who said it this way. He said, the very same power which raised Christ is waiting to raise the drunkard from his drunkenness to raise the thief from his dishonesty, to raise the Pharisee from his self-righteousness, to raise the Sadducee from his unbelief. That same power is waiting to raise you from wherever you are. Verse 21, it says, Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Fourth point, Jesus is the final authority now and forever more. Jesus is the final authority. Above all rule. No. No. You rule your own life. No. You are the only authority in your life. You, you shut up because we have authority shut up every demon that's in your life, every temptation that comes your way. You have authority over everything in the demonic realm. I'm so sick of Christians running from demons. Demons run from us. Come on, somebody. You have authority in Christ Jesus to overcome everything that comes in your way. It's like the referee that overrules the ruling on the field. There was a ruling on the field, but he didn't know that there was a higher authority that you call on that overrules. I don't care who your mama was, who your daddy was, what your background was, the color of your skin, where you come from. You need to listen to the ruling of your heavenly father. <laughs> he, says, he says, this is the final authority now and forevermore. 
Now, that's back in when he wrote the letter, that's almost 2,000 years ago. Now and forevermore. That means that same authority back then is still relevant today. That when you call on the name of Jesus, it's still relevant today. The problem is not many of us are actually living out the authority that we have. There's a difference between the Emancipation Proclamation and Juneteenth. The proclamation was already made, but not everybody was living free because they had to get the knowledge and actually live out the knowledge of the proclamation that had been made way back here. Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection allows us to walk in a power and authority that we don't have to listen to Abaddon any longer. But many of us are still listening to Abaddon because we have a theology without a practice. Is that too heavy for us? I'm sorry, this is the last service, so I got more time. Y'all better watch out. You, you can be free. You can be free, but not experience your freedom because you're not living in it. You can have the Emancipation Proclamation without having Juneteenth. You are, you are, not being, you are free. Are we living in it? Are we living in it? So Paul, Paul is saying, he, he, he's like that, that, that forebearer of science. He's saying, I've stepped over this line. I've seen through the microscopes and the telescopes. I've seen something you can't see. It's time to you to walk in this power and authority that comes through Jesus Christ. <sighs> Think of it this way. If somebody comes to me and they got the authority of a gun and they pull a gun on me, I'll pretty much do anything they ask me to do. I say pretty much because there's a few things I think I'd die for. If they said, give me your wallet, I'd be like, let me keep my license because I'd rather you shoot me than me have to go back to the DMV. <laughs> so there's a few things within reason that I might not be willing to do. I'll give you my credit cards. I'll give you all my cash. You ain't taking my wallet. I mean, my, 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 my driver's license. And so, um, so, 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 so if he's got a gun, I'm going to be like obedient to what he says because he's got the authority over me. Right? Right. I know we got a bunch of macho guys. I ain't doing nothing. Yeah, you would. He's got a gun. But if I found out, the second I found out that he had a gun that wasn't loaded, that changes everything. You've been terrorizing me. It's about to come back on you tenfold. I'm going to show you guns. Come on, somebody. I'm going to show you guns. Right? It's about to come right back at you. This is what you got to understand. The enemy will threaten you with a gun, but the resurrection unloaded your enemy's gun. When Jesus rose, he took the keys of hell and death. That means authority, the power, everything that it held over you. He might threaten you with the power, but he has no actual power. <laughs> the resurrection unloaded the devil's gun. We are now more than conquerors for those who are in Christ Jesus. Are you in Christ Jesus? <laughs> Oh, and then we got to end here. Verse 22, the last verse says, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. Surrender to Jesus qualifies you to receive his benefits. This is where we have to end because if I just made you shout a lot and clap and feel good, we would miss something here. We live in a world with an American Christian culture where we want all of the benefits of Christianity without ever making Christ Lord of our lives. We want the kingdom without the king. We want all of the benefits that God wants to give us, but we don't want to submit ourselves in order to be in the kingdom where you receive those benefits. 
This is a bane of our modern Christian movement. So I want God's blessing. I want God's anointing. I want God's yoke-breaking power on my life. But I don't actually want to submit myself to God. I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to attend church regularly. I don't want to tithe. I don't want to do it. I don't actually want to submit myself to God, but I want all of God's benefits. And usually we want them before we'll ever submit ourselves to God. And this is what he's saying. He, said, he says, listen, if you really want these benefits, then you got to make him the Lord of your life. You got to make him the God of your life, the head over everything you experience. You got to know whose name you're calling on, whose name you're submitting yourself to to get the right response. So let me just tell you, I'm going to tell you an embarrassing story and we'll close. Um, in my world, I have three devices by three different names that respond to me. It all started with iPads and such like that, and I have Siri. So I tell Siri what to do, and Siri gives me responses. You know, Siri, do such and such. Siri, what's this? Siri, response. How many of you have Siri? Okay. I also have a Google Home that Pastor Jason and Lorraine bought me a few years ago that sits in my office upstairs. And so when I want something from Google Home, I say, hey, Google, blah, 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 right? Google response on command, right? That's, that's Google's job. It's one job in Google's world. That's his job. And then um, uh, a few months ago, uh, my sister had a Alexa Amazon Alexa that she just had that somebody had given. She had one it at work, I think, and she didn't need it because she already had one. She's like, do you want one? And I'm like, all right, my home office doesn't have one. And this is us in America, and this is what we do, right? So we're like, let's just get one there too. And so I, I, put, um, I put this spy called Alexa in my office. <laughs> I'm doing that because my wife's on the front row. She always teases me about it. I'm like, what are they going to learn? Like, they're going to hear the gospel from me. That's all they're going to learn. Anyway. So I put Alexa in my office, and, um, and it kind of sat there. And I, don't, I really don't use these. I have these devices, but I don't really use them very much. I don't know how you are. Uh, most of the time, they play music for me. And a lot of times, it's when I'm researching and studying and stuff like that. And so it was probably about a week later after I had put it in, just taken it out of the box, put it in, used it a couple of quick times. You know, they set it up. Um, I'm sitting in my office at home, and I'm, I'm sitting in my office. I said, I said, hey, Siri, put on classical for studying radio. That's my favorite radio. Find it on Pandora. Put on classical for studying radio. So it's classical music, makes you think deeply as you're pondering. And she didn't respond at all. I'm like, hey, Siri, put on classical for studying radio. Nothing. I'm getting nothing. Like the light or something is supposed to light up on it or something. I'm getting nothing. So I'm like, hey, Siri, are you there? Nothing. 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 And I'm like, Ugh. literally my blood pressure is going up. I don't know why I'm getting mad at this stupid thing. My blood pressure is going up. And I, and I open my computer and I'm literally about to Google <laughs> why Siri doesn't work. I'm literally about to Google why she's not responding to me when it dawns on me. That's not Siri. That's Alexa. <laughs> if you are calling the wrong name, trying to get the right result, it will never work. What are you talking about? Some of you, some of us are calling out going, President Biden, give me hope. You're calling the wrong name. President Trump, give me hope. Give me an inheritance. Governor so-and-so, give me an inheritance. Mama, daddy, the bank, give me this thing. You're calling the wrong name. You can't call out to Muhammad. You can't call out to Buddha. You can't call out to Harry Krishna because they are dead. But Jesus is alive. And you call out 
in the authority of Jesus Christ. And Jesus responds. Come on, church. So when you need hope, who do you call? Jesus. When you need an inheritance, who do you call? Jesus. When you need power, who do you call? Jesus. And demons start trembling. Demons start running off because they can't handle the name of Jesus. Woo. When you don't know what else to say, just say his name. All power and authority is in his name. And it's in his name because he is alive and well in resurrection power. Some of you are like, what are they talking about? These people are nuts. Who are these people? You just haven't seen through the microscope or the telescope yet. That's that's all it is. Don't hate it until you've seen it. You're like, these people are nuts. Why are they talking about Jesus? And, and that guy on the keyboard talking about the blood, that's just icky and weird. And I know we tried to explain it, but it's still just weird. And, and what is that all about? Listen, I know it makes no sense that the earth is not the center of the universe and that you are. But once you come to this revelation and this knowledge, there ain't no going back. We're not going to be flat earthers now once we realize that the earth is actually round. Are are y'all with me? The difference, microscopes and telescopes. Some people in this room have seen things that other people haven't seen. You've experienced things that other people haven't experienced. Today is your morning to experience those things that you haven't experienced. If you're open to it. If you're open to it. The hardest people to work with in human human nature is closed-minded people. People that are closed-minded. Literally, it's the heart, the eyes of the heart. Paul's talking about being so closed and refusing to open. Would you stand up with me around the room? Paul discovered these truths. I discovered the great truth that Jesus is alive. Other people haven't discovered it yet. I'm discovering the truths of the hope and the inheritance and the glory of God that he wants to give us, the peace of God, the kingdom principles that he wants to put in our lives. I haven't discovered all of them, but I'm on the journey chasing after people like Paul who were forerunners to me. I hope we all are in this nature. Knowledge, which is something we love so much in this country, is so important, but knowledge always lives on the edge of its incompetence. If you really want to be a knowledgeable person, never stop and trust everything. Keep stretching your mind. Keep, keep expanding your borders of your mind. Living on the edge of your incompetence. That's what you did in grade school. In third grade, you had to live on the border to get to fourth grade. Always stretching your mind to a new arithmetic and a new science and a new grammar and always stretching your mind. Some people are like, why are you doing a doctor degree? Because I'm always stretching my mind anyway. I might as well get a doctor before my name to do it. That's what we should do as human beings. Never satisfied with what we have known, but always stretching to what could be. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? There are some of you in this room. And this is your moment this morning to surrender your life to Christ. This is your moment to say, God, I give you everything. I may not understand everything. I may not have all the answers. But I'm willing to start a journey with you to learn the answers. I love how C.S. Lewis once said it. He said that I don't just understand Christianity. I understand Christianity as I understand the sun. That through it I see everything else, not just the sun. God wants to show you and reveal to you so much more starts with surrendering over to him. If that's you in this room and you say, Pastor, I need to give my life to Christ. I want to surrender to him. 
I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. I just want to pray over you. If that's you in this room, would you do me a favor? Just stick your hand up so I can pray with you around this room. Amen. Amen. Just stick your hand up and wave it at me. Amen. I see you. I see you. Come on, everybody, just pray with me. Say, Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner. And I need you. So from this day forward, I surrender my life completely to you. I give you all of me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Listen, if you just gave your life to Christ, do me a favor. Pastor Ken will have the altar team come up in a minute and, and prayer as some other people leave. Come on up front and let us pray with you. As well as text Jesus to 21777, and we'd love to send you a 21-day devotional and, and just kind of stay up uh, with you and, and walk you through this journey together. I want to end with this before I hand it off to Pastor Ken to close us out. The greatest lie that Abaddon or our enemy, Abaddon just means um, a destroyer, the greatest, in, the greatest lie of our enemy is that they don't exist. Because if you don't believe the enemy exists, you're never fighting against the enemy. You're fighting against something that they put in front of you. And so, first of all, we want to squelch that during this series. That your battle is not against flesh and blood alone. Your battle is against principalities and powers of the air. But as you uncover this truth, one of the other truths I want you to see is that your enemy will do anything he can to distract you. Some of you are very familiar with Abaddon's voice this morning because even as you would hear somebody like me speak, you would hear some of those same thoughts that Abaddon would say because you know that voice. And so as you recognize that voice, I want you to hear me. This series, we are going to be talking about how to overcome those temptations very specifically. Next week, we're going to talk about how to overcome lust. Uh, all of you have seen people that their lives have been destroyed because of different lusts. We're going to talk about how to overcome the enemy with lust. And because the enemy is real, I'm telling you right now, the enemy will do anything they can to distract you and keep you from coming to this series. Next Friday, something's going to happen. Next Saturday, next Sunday morning, something's going to happen to keep you from coming here. Don't let them win. Don't let them win. Somebody like, I, I checked it off my box. I got Christmas and Easter, right? I went to Christmas and now I'm at Easter. I'm good. No, no, come back. Come back. God has something for you. He wants to speak to you in a profound way. Do not let the enemy win by distracting you and keeping you from being in, in God's presence. There's something here this morning that you recognized that you need. Keep coming. Keep finding out what that is. Discover this truth. Amen. Amen. Put your hands together for Pastor Ken as he comes to wrap us up. Thank you for watching this message today. We ask that you hit the subscribe button and share this message on all social platforms. Man, we are hoping that you were encouraged and blessed by what you heard. And we cannot wait to see you next time.